0: You are listening to the IoT For All Media Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the IoT For All podcast on the IoT For All Media Network. I'm your host, Ryan Chicone, one of the co-creators of IoT For All. Now, before we jump into this episode, please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or join our newsletter at iotforall.com slash newsletter to catch all the newest episodes as soon as they come out. Before we get started, if any of you out there are looking to enter the fast-growing and profitable IoT market but don't know where to start, check out our sponsor, Leverage's IoT solutions development platform, which provides everything you need to create turnkey IoT products that you can white-label and resell under your own brand. To learn more, go to iotchangeseverything.com. That's iotchangeseverything.com. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the IoT for All podcast. Welcome, Romo, to the IoT for All show. How's your week going so far?
1: Well, thanks. Well, and uh, uh, thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. It's great to have you. Um, some exciting stuff has been going on at CORE from everything I've been reading. So I want to get into that in a second. But I wanted to start off by just having you introduce yourself to our audience. Um, CORE is a very well-known name in the IoT space. So I'm pretty sure most of our listeners have heard of the company, uh, which we can dive into also in a second. But for you being uh, you know, the CEO of, of core, I'd love if you could just kind of give some background about yourself, you know, anything you think would be relevant, interesting for audience to understand who they're listening to.
1: Well, no, I appreciate that Ryan. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, look, this is my third CEO gig. So hopefully I'm making sort of less mistakes as I go along, (laughs) or at least not making the same ones over and over. But, um, you know, the first company I had the opportunity to run back when I was 40 years old, a board of directors was gracious enough, maybe brave enough to give a a, a young Rommel Bell a chance to to run a company, run a public company. That's what brought the family here to Atlanta. Um, We've been able to stay relatively stable here for about a dozen years now, which is kind of nice. And uh, our two daughters have sort of grown up in Atlanta. In between, I ran a uh, private equity company headquartered in Detroit, but I was able to do that sort of commuting. Um, so that helped. And uh, that was actually my first introduction to the Internet of Things, right? So, you know, the, the you, you could argue that the first real use case of IoT was sort of that whole fleet and connected car, sort of that telematic mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. In fact, there was a time when Core was called Core Telematics. The name was Core Telematics because that's mm. what the entire industry sort of M2M IoT <laughs> was, was about. But um, anyway, we, we ended up pivoting that company Lockbridge towards the connected car space, Okay. We sold that to a strategic buyer in the middle of 17. And then a few months later, Abri called and said, hey, there's a IoT company in your backyard in Atlanta, and, and would you like to come? And so yeah, so almost four years ago, when I first started that conversation, um, I didn't think four years later, you and I'd be having this chat <laughs> after having announced a SPAC, but it's been a, it's been a fun run.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So speaking about this, the SPAC and kind of everything that's going on, um, obviously some big news came out today. Um, Our listeners may be hearing this a few, few weeks after, after this news, but you guys had fantastic quarter one revenue numbers, 55 million plus 3,600 customers, um, talks about going public in Q3, a SPAC merger. Um, dive into that a little bit and talk up to our audience about kind of why now is the time for not just core, but, you know, a, a well-known IoT company to kind of venture down that IO, I, IPO route.
1: Yeah, that's a great, uh, great lead in great set of questions and appreciate the the kind words Ryan, on the on the press release we put out today. There really is a lot of momentum, right? Let's just talk about that first and then we'll mm-hmm. switch to, the, sure. to the, the public, if you will. But I mean, you know, it feels to me like, sort of, somewhere in the second half of last year, we hit an inflection point. You know, we've okay. um, since I've been here, we've had um, uh, a couple of headwinds to deal with. Now, when people talk about the Internet of Things, we mostly talk about the massive tailwinds that this market has, right? Mm-hmm. Going from roughly 12 billion IoT devices in 2020 uh, to roughly 75 billion. IoT devices in 2030. This mm-hmm. decade of IoT, as mm-hmm. I call it, and what we've been getting ready for at Core with our transformation effort these last three years is exactly this: is getting ready uh, to really participate in the in 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 this tidal wave of devices coming at us. Right, and so there is um, sort of an inflection point, despite the headwinds. So I, I said headwinds. So what are those headwinds? Well, we had uh, some customer churn from back in the 2014, 2015, 2016 Mm -hmm. timeframe when we did some acquisitions, we've had to deal with some ARPU declines as our customers, as we are helping Migrate our customers into LTE, the long-term evolution of okay. telecommunications and cellular uh, connectivity. So some of that average revenue per unit, ARPU, has been has been going down, you know, somewhat dramatically as a one-time type shift as sure. people go from the old expensive 2G, 3G networks mm-hmm. to the new LTE. But despite right. that, you know, um, we we started to feel like we had hit an inflection point in the second half of last year, and I think what you see in the first quarter is uh the proof point of that, right? Mm-hmm. So so if you can grow, if we can grow 10.8%, I think it was revenue growth mm-hmm. Q121 over Q120, uh in the face of those headwinds, then certainly right. without those headwinds, uh as things settle down here over the next couple of years as those go away. Uh, this should be, uh, well north of 20% uh, top line growth company, mm. which by the way is, is more than what we've sort of prom- you know, promised, if you will, right? Our five sure. year forecast, uh, that we've put out there as part of our go public process, uh, I'll say only gets us to a little over $400 million by 2025. We sure. internally would like to be a billion dollar company of course. Right around then you know, if, okay. if if not much, much later. So anyway, so that's kind of uh, just my commentary on the momentum. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. So now let's go into the why public, why public now conversation mm-hmm. and perhaps the why SPAC conversation, which, you know, which yeah. I think is relevant as well. But let, so let me say that, um, first of all, this is not something new for us at core to consider going public. In sure. fact, um, all the way back, about three years ago, in our may twenty eighteen board meeting, we for the first time actually talked about um, potentially an IPO being a great alternative, great strategic alternative or outcome for core. And uh, why did we think that? We thought that primarily because the characteristics of our business um, are very help, are, are very sort of public company like, if you will. So uh, recurring revenue off the chart. ninety one percent. Plus Mm -hmm. uh, over 91% recurring revenue last year. So that should mean to your listener, to your, to the average investor is, you know, you know, we're not going to surprise on the downside. We're not going to have a lot of volatility, right? Um, So you say, okay, so, you know, fantastic revenue visibility, fantastic Mm -hmm. recurring revenue, fantastic tailwinds for the next 10 years, probably the next 15 to 20 years, really, because, you know, 5G for IoT probably doesn't become real until the second half of this coming decade. And so sure. I think 5G growth will continue to power all the way through 2035. So mm-hmm. you say, wow, you got you got all of that going for you as a public company. Add to that the fact that many of us on the leadership team have public company expertise, but public company experience. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not typical for a small cap, mid, 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 you know, sure. mid, medium cap private equity company to have that kind of public uh, company experience on their team. And so, yeah, and by the way, that's CFO, that's uh, CHRO, that's sure. myself, right? So we, several of us have, have been in public company roles before. CIO, our CTO was a CIO of a, of a public company. So, so you really take all of that and you say, this is something we've been considering for a while. Now, you know, um, we'd had a a couple of other SPAC conversations that weren't as interesting to us. But when Cerberus, uh, as the sponsor, a very, a very credible sponsor, obviously, you know, they run Mm -hmm. a $50 billion, highly successful Wall Street capital business. Um, You know, when they said, hey, we're going to launch a SPAC franchise. And here's our first one, CTAC1. And when CTAC1 said, hey, we're looking at, Over 100 companies, but we really like your portfolio company, Mm -hmm. ABRI. They called our private equity shop, ABRI, and said, we really like your portfolio company, Core. Uh, could we, could we have a conversation with them? You know, we collectively felt like, Hey, this is, this is worthy of a conversation. Right. Um, and so here's what I'll say to you, right? We didn't, we didn't do this to tap into some kind of, um Spac craze or or what have you, and the volatility, okay. the ups and the downs here, don't really bother us. To us, the purpose of the conversation was to go hand in hand with a very credible sponsor into becoming a public company, where we believe we you know we are very well suited to uh, to to be for the long sure. term, right? And, sure. And and frankly, I'll, I'll I'll say one last thing, Ryan, which is. Look, I mean, we welcome additional scrutiny. We welcome the SEC looking uh, closer because we're a real company with real revenue, real a right. real plan uh, and, and real diligence done by SeaTac. And so we're very confident uh, in the future here. And, yep. and this isn't some sort of speculative play. So.
0: That's fantastic. So two quick follow-up questions for our audience's sake, can you talk a little bit more about what a special purpose acquisition company is? So SPAC, which is what we've been saying, can you talk a little bit about what that is and the decision behind going, using kind of that approach to go public as opposed to just, you know, going straight into an IPO yourself. And then, um, also the benefits that you all view as being public versus staying private and kind of just for our audience's sake, they understand kind of the value you're seeing it as of that why that's the right decision.
1: Absolutely. And let me actually start with that. The second of the two questions, which I really should have hit, but my answer was getting so long, I just stopped talking. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me hit that second one first, because it really sets up the premise, right? So I, I talked sure. about the fact that we have very good characteristics of being a public company. I didn't talk enough about the benefits of being public and why we right. would want to be public. So let's talk about that. First and foremost, uh, just the brand visibility and positioning—you uh, know—that that it gives us is is fantastic, right? I mean, just you know, you and I were probably not sure. having this conversation had we not been going through this process. But equally, and and you know, you started, Ryan, by saying. Many of your audience might know Core. I'll just say that if you knew Core at all, right, um, uh, before this conversation, you probably thought of us as an IoT connectivity shop. 100%. And, uh, right? And you wouldn't have been wrong. That's what you would have known us as. The fact, though, is that if you've blinked over the last couple of years, you would have missed the sort of the breathtaking transformation the core team's been executing on. I'm so proud of this team. You know, Despite the COVID pandemic and this and that and everything else, if anything, we've accelerated uh, the scale and speed at which we're, we're transforming to become a connectivity solutions analytics player, right? So more to come on that as we talk about the business and the strategy and the positioning. But the fact is that we're getting... We we are getting the ability to tell the story Mm -hmm. uh, as investors and and strategic investors are hearing our story. They're actually introducing us to their own portfolio companies and others. And so I think just that brand and positioning will do us uh, a world of good. So that's reason Mm -hmm. number one to go public. Reason number two to go public is financial flexibility. Sure. I mean, uh, I think everybody understands kind of the private equity sort of LBO game, right? The leverage mm-hmm. buyout game, uh, high, high levels of debt, um, which mean that uh, EBITDA is 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 very, very important to keep high. Um, but equally, the the you know we had eight or nine turns of debt, uh, sure. you know, before which limited our ability to do MA activity greatly. The amount of cash mm-hmm. we could spend, uh, it needed to be delevering at all times. The private equity stock is not exactly a liquid currency to use for uh, acquisitions. So we a number of things were stacked against us. We are using every single dollar from this go public effort to pay down debt. Every dollar that is not going to an expense right um a, a banker or a, or an auditor or, or a lawyer uh, is going to pay down debt from roughly 8 or 9 times to actually the performance has about 1.7 times the debt which is fantastic and that's this, you know with 130 plus million dollars on on the of cash on on the balance sheet so it, it, it is a fantastic delevering moment gives us the flexibility gives us the public currency to really accelerate uh, our M and A, our inorganic uh, part of this journey towards that billion dollar upside case, if you will, um, and I'll say the last, uh, the third of the big three reasons to go. Um, public was indeed that Cerberus and more specifically the CTAC team, the, the uh-huh. Cerberus Telecom uh, Acquisition Company, which is the SPAC that we're merging with, the advisor group on, on that team from Tim uh-huh. Donahue, who was the uh, exec chair of Sprint Nextel, actually sold Nextel Nextel to them. He was the CEO there. You know, he grew up at McCall sure. after an at t career. I mean, you know, just you start with the quality of a quality guy like that, a quality a guy like Shaghan Karadpir, who's been uh, CIO, CTO at Verizon, and others up and down that list. Um, Just fantastic group of people who are themselves connected very well, as is the service operating group. So I think the the network effect of those individuals across Mm -hmm. the kinds of companies we want to do business with, we want to partner with, is the third big reason to go public. Okay. Okay. Now let's go back to the to the, to the the question, sort of, SPAC, you know, what is a SPAC? Why, you know, why SPAC? So, right. look, I mean, first of all, SPACs have been around, you know, 30 years. People are surprised uh, about that because they've only heard about it, most of us, in the last year or two. But really, you know, SPACs have been around forever. You know, they've had ups and downs like most any financial instrument does in terms of how much volume of them are coming through. They've had a recent spike that obviously then raises questions, uh, et cetera. But the fundamental purpose of a SPAC is to actually, uh, you know, accelerate shareholder value creation, right? It is to go find a, a, a company of very high quality, which I would argue CTAC did, right? They talked yep. to over a hundred companies. They mm-hmm. shortlisted down to six and did d- diligence on six. Okay. Somehow we were the last ones standing at the end of last year. <laughs> they, they, they signed a, um, an exclusive agreement with us uh, at that point. And then through January and February, they did even more diligence. And then we went out and together sort of uh, raised a pipe um, uh, investment, right? We right. went out looking for $150 million. A couple of weeks into that process, we had almost... We were almost 2x oversubscribed. Fantastic. Right? So we upsized the pipe to $225 yep. million from 150, and... Uh, and obviously that pipe was led by the likes of Coke and, and BlackRock and other very, mm-hmm. you know, very, very interesting names. And so anyway, so that process has gone on. And I would argue that, again, that, that you know, that SeaTac has done exactly what they were supposed to do, which was to bring this, you know, we think largely unknown, largely hidden, you know, gem to market and, and right. make it available to investors. So when used correctly, appropriately with the right diligence, et cetera, I think the SPAC is a tremendous uh, uh, weapon. It can it can bring you to uh, mm. a public listing in nine months, ten months, as opposed to eighteen to twenty four months. Right, right. So for for a management team like ours here at Core, that's heads down, busy executing on a massive transformation, not being tied up for eighteen to twenty four months. I, is yes. hugely valuable, hugely efficient and valuable for our shareholders because we're distracted for less amount of the time. So there you Absolutely. go. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah, That that's fantastic. No, I appreciate all those insights. So it's, it sounds like a very strategic decision as opposed to necessarily like you know going public just because you need the money. The money is obviously a bonus there, but it's more of yeah. a just everything timed up well. And it's, it sounds like it's it's the prime opportunity for core to kind of make that push into public and you know there's a lot of strategic reasons relationships you guys are gathering to help you guys reach that billion dollar valuation which you're going for
1: yeah no look and that's very that's very well said and i think it's a very fair summary again our shareholders starting Mm -hmm. with abri that owns the majority of our shares today the private equity company are not taking one dollar off the table in this transaction right Um, they're just converting their original equity dollars into public company Mm -hmm. stock uh, which again goes to show you the confidence they have 100%. in the future, the return on the investment they've made. They've, they've allowed us to invest $50 million into this investment, into mm-hmm. this transformation these last three years. And, and they know the return on that investment is to come. I mean, it's funny, like, you know, so, uh, one of the Avery guys was recently joking with me that maybe they're still shareholders 10 years from now, you know, and it's yeah. that interesting. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's, a, it's a it really is a strategic move. I think that's well yeah. summarized. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a huge testament to, to just kind of the, the path you've been on and where you guys are going with, you know, if, if they're trying to keep their their investment in the, the same stake they've had, um, transferring over, obviously, to public shares makes total sense in this situation. But, um, you know, they're not trying to get out and, you know, cash in. So so that's fantastic. It's, it's very exciting to kind of see where you guys are headed. And speaking of kind of the direction, um, you took over in 2017, I believe, correct? That's correct. Uh, late, okay. late 17, fourth quarter. Yep. Yeah. Fantastic. So talk a little bit, um, I know we're kind of going backwards here for a second, but it's going to lead into kind of our future discussion that that yeah. follows, but 2017, where was core and, you know, and, and now where is core in your mind? Kind of what does it look like today? What is that journey that you've been on? And, you know, that ties in really well to what we just talked about as far as why now is the time to go public. So just talk to me a little bit, you know, uh, briefly here about kind of that journey and how you've seen the evolution of the market and how you kind of timed core to be where it is now.
1: Yeah. So look, so, um, so core, uh, at, at the, at the end of 17, here, here's the good news, right? The good news was that, uh, the sort of the board handed me, handed all of us, the, the new leadership team that came together largely about three years ago. Um, you know, a, a very nice IoT connectivity asset, right? And an asset that was built with the thesis of the multi, multi, multi connectivity proposition. Now, what does that mean? It, it means multiple regions or multiple countries of the world, multiple technologies, multiple devices, multiple networks, right? Whatever mm-hmm. the customer needs, whatever the use case needs, wherever they need it, right? Uh, right? multiple protocols and, and connectivity bearers, we could connect you anywhere in the world. Now, it, very, very difficult to execute on that thesis, almost impossible to execute on that thesis organically, right? Because right just getting one integration done with one key MNO, should they even allow it? And mm-hmm. I'm talking, of course, carriers, the charity that we have right. today, right? The the Telstra's and the Telefonica's and the Vodafone's and the AT&T's and Verizon's. And so, you, so, you know, just one of those can be uh, a, a one-to-two-year uh, timeline, one-to-two-million dollars worth of cost, mm-hmm. and, 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 and. And certainly, you know 20 years ago when core first started as a little m2m iot front end kind of connectivity platform first for Rogers in Canada and then for AT&T in the US you know in those days we were the channel to market for these mnos because they didn't have iot groups of their own now you know a decade later by around the 2010 time frame carriers started to kind of jump in there themselves and and get a little bit of right uh, IoT, right. you know, practice and direct to market kind of sales teams, and then so that so that changed the dynamic. So so they were now less likely to give companies like us these deep integrations into their BSS stacks to, to to build these businesses. And so so the way Abri and the core founders partnered up and went after this thesis of connectivity was to do it inorganically. We did three four acquisitions. Um, mm-hmm. after Abry got here, and two or three had been done even before Abry arrived. And so there was a period of time where there was a transformational set of acquisitions between, I'll call it, 2012 and 2016, okay? But again, the good news from all of that and all of that investment and equity was that a very nice asset was handed to us, um, but it was connectivity, and there was work to be done to deliver the proposition. So we went to work from a sort of a transformation type standpoint on a on a five year transformation plan. Um, the first uh, phase of that transformation was really to double down into connectivity uh, and and build our own core network, but also then to expand into solutions and analytics. And so, if I was to just take the the, the quick version of the transformation story, because there's a there's an entire question right there about the transformation. Sure, sure. But let me do the quick version of it to answer your questions. If you if you fast forward now to where we are today, you know, Core has changed from being a company that was connectivity focused, um, that that a customer would call us when they got towards the end of deploying their solution and said, "Oh, we need somebody to help with connectivity now. Let's call somebody." To a company that does connectivity solutions analytics, whose sort of mission statement is is to actually help our customers deploy successfully, to actually design and deploy successfully, to manage seamlessly, to scale confidently and securely. So a much broader set of capabilities. And as I like to say, a journey from three to 30, right? So Mm -hmm. from 3% of the IoT market that we used to address as connectivity only, we uh, now aspire to hit 30% of the IoT market with our broader capabilities, Across connectivity solutions and analytics,
0: fantastic. And are you handling most of the deployments and solutions that are coming to market um, with your customers from a with all, within the walls of core, or are you partnering with organizations to help bring these to market? And, I, and I'm, the reason I'm mentioning this is I watched the the video that came out um, recently uh, that that you were talking about how to bring a solution to market. It takes a high number of companies put these together, which is why we don't get out of the pilot phase very often. Exactly. Why IoT is very complex, at least to, to the end user, right? Or to, to the company looking to bring IoT into their business or for the business of their clients, is they just don't know where to begin. And it's much easier if one company can kind of come in, systems integrators usually play this role, come in to be able to help them get from the beginning of their IoT journey all the way to scale. And um, so I'm just kind of curious if you could touch on that for a second. Yeah, no, that's a, what
1: a fabulous set of questions, really. And I appreciate the the research you've clearly done to prepare for this conversation and to watch the. <laughs> I mean, the video just went out today with the press release. So that's um, that's pretty cool that you've seen it already. But, yeah, look, you know, I think I think the video is a nice, you know, relatively short watch that that I think makes it sort of, you know, more accessible for people to understand what we do, right? And right. so I hope I hope uh, your audience takes a minute to go see it. I, I certainly would say that that's a, a better video to watch rather than our sixty minute investor presentation <laughs> video, which is <laughs> longer and more complex. But yeah, so, mm-hmm. look, so let me add to the question. Um, the, the two key statistics that support what you just said, the complexity, mm-hmm. uh, the number of partners one needs to launch an IoT solution, mm-hmm. uh, and the, by the way, your point about stalling POCs and pilots. Mm-hmm. right? So Cisco right. had a study back when I was joining Core, I remember reading, where they said almost two-thirds of all POCs and pilots actually stall or fail, which is shocking. Right. Right. Um, Now, of course, those were results from largely from the first half of last decade. Right. But still, you know, and and even while we've learned since then, that was a shocking statistic. And then the other statistic that the venerable consulting firm had out there was 18 partners on average to launch one end to end solution. Now, look, Mm -hmm. that may have gone down over the last few years. Maybe it's even trending down towards 10 or 12. But look, it's still too many. Having 10 to 12 partners is still too many. Uh, And so to have a solution integrator, uh, right, of, of a sort, and you mentioned the SI's, Sure. I mean, you know, if you can afford to spend many millions of dollars on on an Accenture, right, uh, you know, maybe you'll maybe you'll hire them to to help you with right. your IoT. But the, for the rest of the <laughs> enterprises and companies out there and certainly our smaller solution provider companies, we think it's tremendously useful to, as, as the video says, start with one, start with core mm-hmm. right? and and let us bring that ecosystem to you. Let us bring the power of the IoT right. ecosystem. To you. Now, uh, we have worked hard to take a number of uh, services and capabilities that we had for ourselves. I mean, we had order management, right? for ourselves. Mm-hmm. We had configuration management for ourselves because we used to order sims and other things and then ship them from our warehouses, right? So we used to do all of this ourselves and I've done for 20 years. And so expanding that capability to include devices to go mm-hmm. with sims was relatively easy, right? And then we flipped those services around, sort of armor-plated them, and made them customer-facing saying, you don't need to build all this if you don't want to. Uh, sure. as you build your solution or deliver your solution to, to other customers of yours, uh, we can just help you do that. And so, you know, we have this, um, uh, I, I love this framework. It's sort of our seven by seven. It's really the seven big steps that a customer has to take on their journey to deploy an end-to-end solution. Mm -hmm. We take those seven steps and actually there's seven deliverables in each of these major steps, hence the seven Mm -hmm. by seven term. But we take each of those and we can map those and we tell our customers transparently, we will do these for you. Right. In some of these, we will actually partner because again, IoT is an ecosystem play. and We orchestrate that ecosystem for them. And in some areas, we completely outsource it and just hand it to a partner and so now it becomes this conversation, this great conversation with a customer who's launching a solution, right? Which is, okay, how much of this seven by seven do you have covered? Do you, have you mm-hmm. thought about? Inevitably they go, oh man, I hadn't even thought about this one and that one and that one, right? Kind of as they at right. the chart. So right. it's a great conversation of a sort of self-discovery of what else they need to take care of to be successful. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes, all right, core, can you just do this for us? Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or, yeah, yeah if, if core, you don't do it, you know, but you have partners or potential partners for us in these areas, eh, we're happy to just give them the names and they can pick up. Sure. Or equally, they might just say, core, you just run the whole thing. So it, that that notion of a one-stop shop or mm-hmm. or sort of IoT in a box, um, as our investor deck kind of phrases it, it, we think is really, really important. And, and there's undoubtedly a little bit of exaggeration, Ryan, as I sum this up. Sure. But what I like to say to folks is, our jobs is to is to not just to make IoT work for our customers, yep. but for for us to take their typical let's say eighteen months time to launch mm-hmm. and bring it down to eighteen weeks. Of course. that eighteen month down to eighteen week is worth its weight in gold uh, to a customer trying to launch a solution.
0: Uh, 100% agree. Um, You know, being able to kind of show that, especially during the pilot and the POC phase, being able to show that return on investment as quickly as possible for them to be able to justify internally why they need to go to scale is one of the hardest things, I think, in IoT right now. Exactly. A lot of companies, I think, are missing the boat on how to do that effectively. So being able to do that um, in the, with the approach that Core is taking, I think, is is fantastic and in a, a very strong play going forward. Just because we're seeing how complex IoT is and why com- complexities actually kills IoT at times, at least in the eyes of those that are trying to adopt it. And if a company like Core can take those complexities, simplify them and make it something that is easily digestible and easy and more quickly to market for those customers the more likely we are to see adoption across the industry increase, which is just good for everybody. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, so we've taken time here to talk about the journey of core from when you took over to now, we talked about the, the IPO, we talked about kind of just generally how the market has taken shape. But I want to go a little more forward thinking here as we kind of finish up this conversation and, and hear from you a little bit more about your vision for IoT? As we look forward, what are the most emerging trends that you are focused on or you think are most important for us to focus on? Um, and then generally, what does the future of IoT look like and the opportunity that a future kind of affords for, for enterprise companies?
1: Yeah, no, look, that's a great, great question. Let me, let me say a few things, though, about why we feel like that journey, that $12 billion to $75 mm-hmm. billion device mm-hmm. journey is real. Right. Yes. So because because, you know, because, Ron, you you know, and, and I don't know, uh, you know, if, if you were in the industry 10-ish years ago, but 10 years ago, analysts were saying we'll be at 20 billion by the end of 2020. Right. Right. And we ended up at 12. So, you know, not not a whole lot more than half of what people mm-hmm. were saying or 60 percent of what people were saying. And so you say you say why? Right. Well, the why is um, all of these complexities that you've referred to. And in fact, you know, over the last couple, three years, I've, I've keynoted several times on the top challenges that uh, affect us when we're trying to uh, deploy IoT. We've talked about a couple of those, like the fragmented ecosystem, the multiple partners point, the lack of in-house IoT expertise and resources point. We haven't talked about others like IoT security and all the risks and pitfalls that come with that, like all of the compliance and regulations issues, which Many times our customers aren't even aware, right? I mean, they're in a, a, a medical type field. They're touching medical devices and they don't have all of the ISO certifications and FDA regs and HIPAA regs and everything mm-hmm. else that, for example, our centers do to be able to handle at scale uh, connected health devices. The challenges of interoperability, compatibility across technologies and protocols on and on and on and on, right? And that's before right. you get to meaningfully being able to, 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 you know, manage streaming, not just big data, but streaming mm-hmm. big data, right? Mm-hmm. And then contextualizing it and, and analyzing it. And so, so there's all of these challenges out there that have slowed us down in the past. And I would start sure. by saying that many of these challenges are starting to get managed. The The cost side of things is getting to where, right, The the device costs and module costs and so forth are getting low enough to where there's a business case to almost connect anything right Mm. um the the carriers have come out with these low power wide area networks built for iot specific networks right nb and cat m and all of these sorts of things and so 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 and, and and as we get better and better at using battery power to go with those low power type networks and low power devices now these things can last 10 12 15 years out there as opposed to five seven nine and 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 all of that is helpful to the to the business case of deploying, you know, uh, IoT, right? And so, so we think this next decade. The reason this is the decade of IoT is because the cost points are better, the business cases are clearer. We've learned a lot of the lessons. Companies like Core are coming out with leading propositions around IoT in a box, I, you know, one stop shop. Let me help you get there. Uh, the co- the companies that have been successful that have had uh, let's say, the fortitude to stick with uh, their IoT solutions, even though they might have had some stumbling around at the beginning, are finding that this is helpful in so many ways they never thought about. They can use the data so many different ways. It builds on itself. The value just continues to build on itself. And so they're going, okay, so, so we're going from a decade of, I'll say, experimentation and largely regional deployment to a decade of global Multi regional deployments, right? This is now where people are going, okay, by 2030, we're going to be in a fully connected planet. Everything that I manufacture needs to be connected out there. Uh, And so, how are we going to get that done, right? And so, I think that. Is, is what's fueling the excitement. And while, yes, on the one hand, it feels sometimes like we're getting more complex, there's more networks, mm. there's now these mm. LPWA networks, there's unlicensed, there's 5G, when will 5G be real? You know, and as soon as that stops, will 6G be an even bigger problem? It, it feels like, oh my God, there's even more complexity But when you work with someone that understands uh, what those networks are for, when you need to start to get worried about them, that sort of trusted advisor, you find that this, all of this stuff actually is helpful to us. Um, And and all we have to do is kind of, you know, get our heads in this thing and and get our share of the flow. So, I mean, look, I I mean, I could not be more excited. Um, We've seen, as I said before, we've seen fleet and telematics lead the way. We're seeing connected health. Uh, catch up in leaps and bounds. The 15 months of the pandemic have been like 15 years in terms of adoption and acceleration. Uh, and we think, uh, you know, uh, Industry 4.0, the promise of IIoT is coming fast. Asset monitoring, everything everything is going to be monitored. Um, the, the whole communication services industries, whether you're an MVNO or MVNE yourself, or enterprises who want total control of their network and become more MVNO-like themselves, we just think, you know, we think those are the next three big industries. So that's why Core is singularly focused now on a go to market by industry across yes. those five. Yes. Uh, so that's sort of how we view the, the, the building excitement and, and, and these next 10 years. Fantastic. Yeah. One of the things... Um...
0: You mentioned in there about all these new technologies, especially on the connectivity side, people view them as complexities, but it takes a company like core um, to be able to simplify that and kind of change the narrative from IOT is complex to IOT is filled now with more opportunities to find the exact components to match your use case, to make it affordable, make bring down time to market and, you know, make it plausible to actually adopt IOT now than it was five years ago. And I think, it's important for organizations within the IoT space to keep pushing that narrative that more choices is actually better in this industry and to to build those tailored solutions as opposed to only having to kind of take, you know, square pegs, put them in round holes kind of thing um, to make it work to then not really meet potentially other ROI uh, metrics such as costs and things like that, where you may have... You know, more expensive connectivity for something that doesn't need it, or more expensive hardware for something that doesn't need it. And now that we have these opportunities, it makes IoT more plausible to be adopted by companies of all sizes, all industries, and all problems that are being trying to are trying to have solved. And it takes organizations like Core to be able to push that narrative so that the industry as a whole benefits.
1: that's fabulous. That's really, really well said. And and you know, the other thing that right is that has that has obviously been a problem for for um, folks is. This you know, um, so so there was. There used to be this dichotomy of mm-hmm. short range stuff or long range stuff. Right. And when right. you're short range, you can just put a Wi-Fi in there or put a exactly. Zigbee in there and all this sort of stuff. And and it turns out that for many of the more mission critical, but frankly, you could argue for most all use cases of IoT, and always on technology like IoT mm-hmm. or or like cellular, right or satellite. You know, is is just so much better, right? right? And so, so you know, one of the things people don't recognize about the what's going on with IoT this next decade is, you know, we talk a lot about the twelve billion devices that were connected off at the end of twenty twenty. Yes, but the fact is that about eighty percent of those, and maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but let's say it's between seventy five and eighty percent of those uh, are connected by short range technologies, Bluetooths mm-hmm. and thick bees and Wi-Fi, right? Right. As we're going to the 70 billion uh, 75 billion IoT device mark, that number will actually go from being 75 to 80 percent to being more like 45 to 50 percent short okay. range. So the, there's a not just is right the 12 to 75 a massive explosion, that tidal wave, as I said before, of devices. Mm-hmm. The fact is that as we're doing that. The mix is shifting significantly to long range technologies. Because again, like you know, my father has a little monitor in his heart that is read all the time by a cardiac rhythm monitoring sure. uh, gateway device that, that ships data back right, up. Right, um, right. Now, I don't want that thing working on Wi-Fi, right? I of mean, without not. power, it doesn't work. When there's a storm nope. in Texas where he lives, it it doesn't work. I mean, it's just I'm sorry, that it's a non-starter of a conversation. And so, mm. you know, just like as consumers we want to be always on i want to be able to turn my device on i want to be able to sync my data at all times on right. all my devices to know what i was doing where i left off it's no different right in in the iot world it's the, the always on technologies are going to be yes. hugely helpful and the and the and how these come together it's it's right. it's actually not just about bluetooth uh, or cellular or this or that it's together there's a right. bluetooth bit from my right. dad's monitor to the device next to his bed right. and then there's right cellular connectivity, bringing it back right, all of that has right. to come together. And that's where, you know, the cores of the world fit in
0: a hundred percent. As we wrap up, I wanted to ask you one last question kind of about cores IOT work as it relates to COVID-19 because I know there's some interesting things to talk about there. Um, but just, just briefly, can you talk a little bit about, um, I, I know core was working in two of the, th- the phase three clinical trials for COVID-19. Can you talk about a little bit about what you guys did there? Um, and then we'll, we'll wrap up with kind of some, some final question there.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, I mean the uh, the the connected health uh, focus area. I, I would probably, um, you know, well, like I can I can actually I know I can I'm not probably I know I can share this with your leaders is and with your listeners because it was our largest industry in 2020, right? About a mm-hmm. third of our business was Connected Health last year. And we can, we expect that to continue for a while. In fact, you know, Connected Health may take a little bit of share, if you will, inside a core, um, before it's done. Right? right. Uh, the main use cases inside of Connected Health that we're focused in are cardiac rhythm monitoring, the example mm-hmm. I was just talking about, uh, just because it's such a large use case by itself, uh, we're in all kinds of chronic disease management, right? So think any chronic disease from, mm-hmm. you know, heart disease sure. through to sure. asthma, breeding, COPD, that whole area to, to diabetes, right? And continuous glucose monitoring right. solutions right. and RPM solutions and, 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 right? I mean, I think we all know the top five, top seven, uh, chronic diseases and all of those diseases we can manage with, uh, our unique ability to bring devices, to configure those devices, to have all the, regulatory and compliance certifications to be able mm-hmm. to do it. And then to just ensure that it connects and it goes. And then you, right. you spread that through medical equipment diagnostics, which is kind of this where asset monitoring meets connected health, but it has all this special regulation. And that a really is a healthcare use case. Right. And then you get, you know, all the way down into sort of clinical trials, which is where, which is where you asked your question. Right. So let's start with, you know, a little bit of description of, you know, why quote IoT and clinical trials? And by the way, let me start by saying most of our customers don't actually think mm-hmm. they're in IoT. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no,
0: I, I totally agree. And and it's interesting because the way that I feel like the market is, is missing the boat is the way they kind of market IoT to the outside world at times. They push right. IoT, they push the acronym. But the only people who really understand that are the people who live and breathe IoT and work exactly. in the industry. Exactly. Others are just looking for a solution to their, to their business problem or right. you know looking on ways to optimize their organization that's they're not exactly. looking for iot solutions right. iot is just kind of how it gets done
1: that's exactly right it's it's the, the fact that there is uh, you know connectivity underneath and so you, you take a clinical trial and you say okay to make a really robust trial i mean you could right. run a trial more narrowly in a few countries sure. in Western europe and call it a a, a a drug trial but i mean to really run a robust drug trial uh you know the 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 pharma company you know ideally would like to run a trial in something like seventy five to eighty countries over a three year period maybe longer right and, mm-hmm. and and without getting into all the details of the sort of the five phases of of drug trials, et cetera, the fact is that 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 critical third phase that you talk about where devices are actually out um uh you know get you know or 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 uh, the the there are groups of individuals that are signed up for this trial that could right could be where we could leverage devices to 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 gather the data leverage technology to gather data instead of literally manually writing things down people coming into clinics every now and then which again limits how many countries you can do it in it's huge right. so this notion of remote clinical trials or or decentralized clinical trials is massive and it's all iot enabled so while our customers Believe that they're in the business of, well, run, you know, running continuous glucose monitoring and, and helping diabetes patients, or indeed, uh, CROs who who run clinical trials on behalf of large pharma companies. That they may think their job is, I run clinical trials, but it's a very IoT-enabled use case inside of it, uh, and and we again can bring all of those unique capabilities of. Of um right, of of leveraging devices and and all right. of our services to connect you anywhere and connecting you in eighty countries, just getting devices into eighty countries in the world <laughs> can be a daunting, daunting uh-huh. task if you haven't tried it before. And so, yeah, so that's kind of where where we help. And uh, okay, and, and you know, there's ePro and eCoa, and uh, you know, the, I'll start to get into a little bit of mumbo jumbo for the average listener. <laughs> but the fact is that you know. We we think as the world goes from less than 10% of clinical trials leveraging technology to really close to 100%, why wouldn't you, uh, you know, that's going to be a massive growth driver for us as
0: well. Absolutely. Well, this conversation has been probably one of my favorites in 120 plus episodes that I've done. So I really appreciate the time. Um, but the last thing I want to ask you is if our audience out there wants to learn more about core, kind of stay up to date on what's going on over there, what's the best way to do that? And if there's any last kind of minute things you wanted to mention about what's going on over on your end, uh, now's the time.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Again, thanks for having me. Thanks for all the work and research you've done, um, uh, you know, to to really set up a high quality conversation. It's, a uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Highly dependent on, on on that, obviously, to, to make it a great <laughs> conversation. So thank you, Randy. Thank you. Let me Absolutely. say a couple of things. Um, look, uh, in terms of how do you stay stay up with core? I mean, look, you know, we we have no real reason to believe that uh, that we won't be successful with the uh, the SEC approvals and so on and so forth. And so, mm. uh, hopefully, as a as a public corporation, and in Q three and then beyond, we'll be more transparent than ever. Right? I mean, there sure. will be earnings releases and. Another um, yeah, and we're we're big believers in thought leadership. We're always out there talking and and being on webcasts and so forth. So I think there's lots of opportunities for people to follow up, but equally, you know, do not hesitate to reach out to myself or Landon Garner, our chief marketing officer. Yep. You mentioned earlier, yep. uh, and and we will obviously uh, make sure that we're we're attending to it. But look, I mean, I, I think as my as my parting comment, as you as you allowed me uh, to say one other thing, <laughs> right? I mean, it, it's really it's really this, right? There is. Um, there is, I mean, you can sit and say, is it really going to get to 75 billion devices Romo, by 2030? Mm -hmm. There's no real way for me to prove that. Right. And, 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 and the skeptics will say, well, they said 20 billion by, uh, 2020, it was only 12. Okay. So let's say 75 billion devices doesn't happen until 2031 or 2032. The fact is it's going to happen. Yes. The fact is you've Just, got yeah. to get in this game because when you right. get in the game, you learn and you figure things out and it builds on itself and the value builds on itself. The business case gets better and better and better. percent. And, 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 you know, yes. we, we stand ready to help and, and with our, with our one-stop shop. And, uh, we hope that when you do start with one that you will start with core. Thanks right. very much.
0: Absolutely. It's been great to have you. Thanks again for your time. Um, totally agree with, pretty much everything you said today. So um, so it's been a great conversation and thanks for sharing your insights with our audience. And we hope to have you back sometime after you guys go public. Cheers, Ryan. All right, thanks. All right, everyone. Thanks again for joining us this week on the IoT for All podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave us a rating or review and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on whichever platform you're listening to us on. Also, if you have a guest you'd like to see on the show, please drop us a note at ryan.iotforall.com and we'll do everything we can to get them as a featured guest. Other than that, thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.